0: You are listening to the Tricer Podcast, where we talk all things hunting, gear, and the great outdoors. Before we begin, let's start things out right and put God first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tricer, and I ask that you can use this podcast as a way to bring joy to all of our listeners with a Tricer and this podcast at your feet. Amen. Alright, stoked to another episode of the Tricer Podcast. Today, I have on one of my favorite people in the hunting industry, Cody Rich. Cody, how you doing? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. Just stoked to have you on here. It's it's cool having you on my podcast. A little intimidating. I think you've done like 6,000 of these and <laughs> I know an episode like 24, but I do my best to not embarrass myself. Dude,
1: I I think you're doing awesome. I do think it's cool. What's So far, what's the biggest takeaway from being a podcaster?
0: Dude... Uh, <sighs> A, f- a few things one like learning to shut up like i listen to my podcast which i know you i don't think you listen to your podcast like i listen to them and to prove myself learning to shut up and let the the guest talk and then also set up like just get in like a proper setup not rigging it and like having a good internet connection like is <laughs> <it's, it's> money <laughs> if you could just do a solid solid hour and not have like a bunch of dropped calls and that kind of stuff and delay like it's just so much easier it's like anything right crap in crap out
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Quality into it, it's good.
1: Well, it's funny because we were um, talking about your new studio, which is super baller. And I was talking about when you're creating content, it's so nice to have it just set up. Like you have it dialed, it's so much easier. And I think like the podcast is the same way. Like you're just, you're dialed. Like everything's ready to go, you know how it works. And not to be so meta, cause we are gonna talk about this in the podcast, but it's, it's very very similar to hunting, right? Like when you have a pretty dialed setup or your gear, like mm-hmm. hunting becomes easier, right? It's like all of these things. I'm one of those people who like get stuff ready on Sunday. I wanna know all my meetings, know all mm-hmm. these things. And I feel like those people go into the week and and Mondays are much easier because you're like, you just have thought about things a little bit easier or a little bit more. And so you go into the week and you're like, you're, you're, you're dialed. I'm not saying like you're always completely dialed, but like you have this idea of what's going to happen. And like similar to the podcast, right? It's like when you go in and you're like, you have the good setup and you're not going to drop calls. You're not going to have all these issues. Like it just makes life so much easier. It makes it fun.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like, I came in here because we were actually doing product videos last night. So, this whole podcast studio was tore apart so they can <laughs> film in here and do pictures. And I came in here last night until 10 o'clock and reset everything up for this. The camera was set up, the lights are to the right tone. Like, it's all done. So, I'm not in here messing with it because I'm having to plug things in because there's nothing worse than looking in here and there's not a battery in the camera or it's <laughs> just <laughs> getting it dialed. So, yeah, I think preparation. It's like anything, right? If it wasn't for illusion, nothing would get done. I say that all the time. And I was like, I'm a podcast. And I'm the kind of guy that just jumps in feet first and just goes for it or head first, I guess it would be. And so I just jumped into it and just started doing a podcast. And then I haven't missed a week yet. It's been 24 weeks of podcasts and they're incrementally getting better and better so it's just fun it's like anything it's i I enjoy building things i enjoy entrepreneurship and this podcast even though it's a part of tricer is still like entrepreneurial because i'm just learning a new aspect of the industry learning a new i'm getting relationships i think that's the biggest takeaway for me too on it is it's not so much like putting the content out there to people which is awesome it's the relationships i'm getting with people i'm talking to right and they're coming on i'm talking to them and we're having like a campfire you know even though we're you know, two thousand miles apart, we're having a campfire talk right now, and it's it's really neat getting to do that, and get to know people, and throughout the industry, and it's pretty cool.
1: I said this probably three or four years ago, and I think it's just taken longer to come to fruition than I thought it would. But I, I always saw a podcast as like. It's going to be tough to compete with the businesses that produce good podcasts because they don't have to have it monetized, right? And so, like, they can mm-hmm. just go out and produce these this content. And I think it's interesting to me. Like, I've always seen podcasts as a networking tool. It's like a way to meet the right people. I, I think there's ways to do it to be more popular. And there's a couple ways to look at like any kind of content you're producing. And I know there's a lot of people who want to get into the industry. They want to do the YouTube thing, but the content you produce makes the connections, right? That's who you're going to meet. And the the interesting thing about podcasts is, especially an interview style podcast, you're going to have those interviews. You're going to meet those people. We're going to network with those people. And to me, that's always been the most valuable piece of a podcast. It's, I don't care if it really makes money. If it breaks even great, at the end of the day, if it grows the network, you meet people, you build those great relationships, the real value, right? That's Mm -hmm. how you move the needle. And this is true for any business. Like it doesn't have to be outdoor industry. It could be like in construction, right? it's all about your relationships and the people and those those relationships create the next connection they open the next door and i think mm-hmm. it's true in every business no matter what industry you're in
0: yeah and i think for me too like i have no idea what the monetary value of this podcast is for me right now but the creative I get from sitting down and talking about hunting and keeping myself mm-hmm. fresh and keeping myself in it is really helpful for me and Tricer. And if that makes any sense, like going and creating new products and doing things, I'm just constantly in it now and, and having this conversation with somebody every week. And it just helps me. I, I enjoy it. Let's put it that way. Like I'm not doing this because I want to make money or because I want to like market Tricer. I'm doing it because I really enjoy this side of it. And it's something that's outside of the business side of it with the stresses of business. I enjoy sitting down and doing this to people. So it's something I like to do and I, I'm having a good time.
1: Yeah. you know One of the, I don't know if like we can take this wherever you want, but one of the things that I always find interesting and you and I've had this conversation is like you have this whole other background, right? Like this whole other business and you started this as a side hustle. And now you're getting to that point where you're like, man, I could literally just go hunting all the time. And there's, there's value to that. Not just, oh, I could go hunting. I go screw off. But mm-hmm. like the reality is, is on top of the podcast, like you could be out doing photo, video, working with the product, doing all these things. And you're, you're seeing it. Firsthand, I know it's just like from you and I chatting a lot, but it's you're seeing firsthand. Like, man, this is time consuming. Like, I could spend all my time just doing this and going and doing cool things with cool people. To me, that's one of the biggest benefits of being in the industry, if you will. There's a lot of downsides for sure, and I think people put it on a pedestal. But at the end of the day, I think it's super cool to be able to go do fun trips, be able to go to Mexico with like people from friends, and be able to call it a work trip. Like, how crazy? How cool is that?
0: Yeah, for sure, and and I a lot of most of my creative juices come from the field, right? I, I think I spent like fifty days in the field this year. I spent a lot of time in the field, but if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to like this new JC tripod and these. We have fifteen new products coming out, and that has to be field tested. Like it saves me so much money and time and headaches by me spending. I think I spent thirty or forty days behind the JC this year, just proofing it and fixing things, and I made some changes that nobody will ever know. But we're so such so cataclysmic in making it a better product, like it it was, it was so worth being out there. And I can't get that from just building something in this office and never taking it out. I have to use it, and even letting other people use my stuff. It's it's good to get that feedback, but me actually being out there doing it is so important. You gotta get out there and do it.
1: Yeah, and uh, your brain's very different anyway. Like you think of these things. Like I could go out there and be like, oh. Yeah, it's good. Or it's not good. Like your brain is constantly tinkering. So it's very different. But I do think that like you being in that scenario, like being in the weeds is super important. And I think this is very true for any entrepreneur in any business, but it's like when you're in the weeds, the problem firsthand, right? Like you see it. And if you're building a business around anything you do like it's important for you to understand it and I look at so many businesses that big businesses that come out with products and they just don't really understand like they don't understand the consumer side of it because they're not out there they're not doing it and and man you see it all the time but that's why it's so important for you to i wouldn't say you have to be the core customer but at least understand it very well and like you're that like you get to be out there you get to see the problem and then why you're tinkering with it like eight hours a day right like you're like oh I can make this better i can make this better and it's it gives you that time to think about it
0: yeah and, and i get to have things break on me like i want to break things like i was joking around my creative director was over here last night and he has all my products like in cellophane in their original packaging doesn't open them doesn't use them and i'm like and he's like, i don't want to use your All beat up i'm like we have such a different mindset right like i want to <laughs> beat the snot out of this thing to the point that it breaks i want to see what it can handle and he wants to keep it as clean as possible. Right. Cause I want to be out there and doing that stuff. want to beat it up and see where it's at. It is funny though. If you would have told me like three years ago, like I, I think influencers are, like the biggest douchebags. And then now I'm an influencer. Like <laughs> <it's> like <laughs> my wife's oh, you're a micro influencer. I'm like, what the heck? Like, where did this come from? Where I'm having to get content, having to be like the face of this thing on Instagram. And it's fun though. I really enjoy it. Um, but man, I never would have thought that I would be like, Constantly having to get content and do that stuff, but it is part of it, man. And, and getting that content in the field is important, and it's a whole other side of it. So you have to be out there, like, yeah, I could go hunting pretty much year round now if I wanted to. I don't. because I run another company, but it's important. And it's not like you're out there just hunting. You're out there actually building your company and learning and developing products, right? I, I can't develop these products without using them. This is my opinion. Like, I,
1: yeah, for sure. And the, so the other day, I had this like thought. And I'm going to try to elaborate on it here, but I'm still fleshing it out. Like We always talk about the, the parallels between like entrepreneurship and hunting. And not everyone's an entrepreneur, but maybe like you'll appreciate the hunting side of this. If not, there's a ton of people out there in the world that are like, yeah, someday I want to go elk hunting. And they put this on a pedestal. And I, I talked to a lot of these people who they want to go elk hunting someday or like someday. And they they put always put out, I want to do it if I draw this tag. They always want like the premier tag. And entrepreneurship is the same way. Like everyone... A lot of people message me or send me DMs, like, "Hey, what about this business idea? Is it good or not?" And to me, it's it's very similar to not going elk cutting until you have a Nevada tag or an Arizona tag. And so even if you got that tag, you wouldn't have the skills to to bring it to fruition, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to do it justice. And so. I look at both entrepreneurship and hunting as you just have to go do. You have to, like, you have to do the thing and you have to learn the skills through failure. You have to keep twisting and pivoting. Like, you're never going to go out and the first time you're ever going to go hunting and kill a 400 inch bull. And if you do, it's pure luck, but it's you don't have the skills yet. You have to go fail a whole bunch. You have to figure it out. And I look at entrepreneurship as the same way. And I think you fall into this category of you're just willing to fail first. It's like starting the podcast, right? You knew it wasn't going to be good, but you knew (laughs) that it was going to get percentage points better every time you did a podcast. And you have to like, I think it's the same as hunting. You're like, you don't expect to go kill a 400 inch bull on your first day of hunting or you're not going to go. That's just silly, right? Like it's unrealistic. And so you're like, I'm going to just keep getting better, keep figuring it out. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, and I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to develop the skills over time. And I think it's easy to look at hunting as like, oh yeah, I'm getting a little bit better every year. I'm figuring this out. I'm figuring elk out and eventually I'm going to kill one. I think there's, I would say the majority of elk hunters are like still figuring it out. They've maybe had some success, but they don't think they have to be killing an elk every time they go hunting. But yet people put that same framework onto entrepreneurship. I'm
0: only going to do it if
1: it's going to be a home run.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've read the E-Myth Revisited, right? E-Myth? Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading, I just finished it again today. I don't know. I've probably read that book like four or five times. And it talks about almost a similar thing. When you email me this, I had this thought, very similar. Like I want to start a business. You just go start a business. But if you were to start that business and you were to put the structure in place first and think about it. So it's like drawing up that bull tech, right? So there's a correlation there where if you were to put it in place, like we're starting a business okay, I'm going to start a business, but I'm going to need this structure. I'm going to need to have an account. I'm going to need to have a salesman. I'm going to need to have all this stuff and build the whole business plan first. You're going to be a lot more successful with that business. Where with that same thing with that that strip tag for mule deer or that unit one tag in Arizona, if you wait 20 years to elk hunting, just because you're going to, this, going to unit one doesn't mean you're going to kill a 400-inch bull. Right, you need to put the, the stuff in place before you get there so you can kill that 400-inch bull because things just slow down. Uh, I, I, thought, I had Robert Clark on. You're, you're friends with Robert. and We talked about that, how things just, the more time you spend in the field, hunting just slows down for you and it gets simpler and easier. It's not as complex. You're not as worried, not as stressed out. You just figure it out. You learn the animals. You learn what they're doing. And you're a lot more successful versus just waiting. And, and there's so many guys who do it. I have a lot of friends who have 15 to 20 points plus and they haven't hunted elk in 10 years and it's just like good luck if you get a guide yeah if you get a guide you're gonna i'm all about it you know what I mean? but i would much rather i'm of the mindset that i would much rather draw tags that are not as premier and get out there and get that field time and maybe get lucky and get a big bull than just wait 10 years and not have that training because you can't replace that training like there's just no way to get it other than to get out there and hunt
1: Yeah. And I think in both cases, like both hunting, entrepreneurship, hell, you could wrap in life to this conversation. But for me, it's always, you have to ask yourself, who do you want to be in the end, right? Do you just want to kill big, do you just want to have a trophy on your wall or do you want to be a good elk hunter? And like, for me, I've always like, I wouldn't say I've struggled with it, but it's, yeah, man, I really want to kill big bulls. And I love chasing big bulls, but it turns out that's hard and I'm not always <laughs> successful at it. But at the end of the day, is my goal to have a wall full of trophies I can brag about? No, it, my my goal is to be a really good elk hunter. And so I have to just take those failures. And it, could I go just lease up some property and kill giants and show the internet, look how great of a bull hunter I am? I'm like, yeah, maybe I could, but like it it's defeats the point. Of, you have to ask yourself, who do you want to be? And there's a price that gets paid for all of those things. So If you want to be a great entrepreneur, you want to be a great business person, you hell, you want to be a great dad, or you want to be a great hunter, like all of these things have a price to pay, and it's it's repetitions, right? Like you have to just go through the repetitions of doing it all the time, and then that's how you get better. And so I look at like the failures per se. I went to Arizona and struck out this year, and that was a real tough pill to swallow because I spent a bunch of points on it. But like at the end of the day, can I like pull the good out of it and be like, Oh man, if I ever did that again, like I'd be a lot better for sure. And overall, did it make me a better elk hunter by going and trying to figure out that stupid desert? A, I learned I hate cactus, but B, I think (laughs) on a grander scale, like you become a better hunter. Right. And so you just be like, all right, got to pay your dues. You got to put in your time. And and that's to me, I always, I keep falling back to, okay, who do you want to be in the end? Do you want to just have a wall full of trophies or do you want to be a great hunter?
0: Yeah, and I think the willingness to fail too, like you said, and get out there, if you do it enough, eventually you're going to get that big bull, Mm -hmm. right? Like same thing with business. If you try hard enough and you commit to it, eventually you're going to get the product you want to get to. Now, there should be some planning going into it. Like you shouldn't just go out there and just start throwing products and wasting money. The same way you shouldn't just go draw an Arizona tag and just go walking around with a rifle And just hope one stands up, right? There's going to be some strategy involved in that, but you have to be willing to go out there and do it and fail, like you said, and you have to be willing to learn from that and learn from your failures. And I think one of the, we call them expensive lessons, right? (laughs) Me and my friends, especially at Tricer, my partners, like we've had some very expensive lessons with marketing, with all kinds of stuff where it's cost us thousands of dollars, but we're not angry about it. We would never do it again, but we learn from Uh it. Right. Like you have to learn from those expensive lessons. That was not only was that an expensive tag for you, you had to drive what 2000 miles to get down here. Right. Yeah, you had time yeah. away from your family. You were down gone for two weeks. You You're gone during Thanksgiving, I believe. Yeah. Or did you come after, I can't remember. No.
1: Um, and, yeah. It ended up going afterwards, but also cost me a whole set of tires. <laughs> and it brings me to this like inputs equal outputs. And I say this both in elk cutting and in business. And I think once you, I did an entire like solo podcast. I don't even remember where it was, but I did this talking about inputs equal outputs, and I, I heard it from the business perspective. But it's so very true in the hunting. But I I think I've learned another lesson on top of that. So I'll give you the first one and then I'll add to it. So the first is we all know that aim, inputs equal outputs. If I do X, I get Y. Like if I do if I do this, I get that, and I think it's very true in elk hunting, right? If I know that if I let's just use locate bugle. Say I'm an area, right? I locate bugle enough times, enough of those, like I'm going to get an answer. And out of those answers, if I get enough answers, I'm going to find a bull that wants to play. It's just a numbers game. So Mm. I know that if I cover enough ground in enough good places, I'm going to get an opportunity. But I think, and that's like the inputs equal outputs. And I think that's very true. I look at hunting in that way of, I just have to cover enough good ground and I'm going to get that opportunity. The difference is that not all inputs are the same. You have to have context for knowing if something works, right? So let's just say you have zero experience in marketing, right? And you're like, oh, I read this in a book or I saw this, I'm going to do this. And then you waste money, right? And You're like, ooh, bad idea. Now you have context. So then you go to the next thing and you're like, ooh, this, but this. And you keep going down this like context rabbit hole of what are good inputs and what aren't. So for example, from a hunting perspective, say, and I use elk all the time because that's like my favorite thing. But let's just say, like, I had no experience whatsoever in elk hunting, and I go out and I'm like, man, I don't know if this is an elky area or not. Like that, I don't have enough context. And so, what a lot of the repetitions are, just building this context. You're building that that memory bank of, oh, this is good, or I like the situation, or this is elky, I need to stay here, and that's what people. I don't want to say fail to realize is that it just takes a lot of those inputs being in the right place at the right time. Like it takes looking at a lot of country. Take Coos Deer, for example. I don't have any experience. And If I went down there, I'd be like, I don't know if this is good or not. But the more years you put in at looking at Coos Deer, looking for Coos Deer, you're like, I got this gut feeling. That gut feeling is your intuition. Like you've seen this enough times that this is good or not. You have context. Is that enough of those good setups, those good glassing points? are going to equal you finding it. And so that's how like I, I think about it a lot both in business and in hunting is like inputs equal outputs, but you have to build up enough repetition to gain the context for what
0: is a good input and what's not. How much, like speaking on that, I think it's a good correlation for hunting and business. How much of failure is from people just getting their head stuck in the sand? I'm going to go here because it looks really good and staying here. That makes sense? Okay. I I saw an elk here. My grandpa killed an elk here. So I'm going to go right here. So I'm going to do it. And the same thing with business. Like you get your mindset on, I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And not being willing to pivot. How important is that pivoting and that moving to go to the next spot? And you see
1: this a lot with hunting, especially with people who have had success in a certain area. Like we all know, like the classic example of, oh, grandpa hunted here. So I hunted here. And you're like, People will say, I see this all the time. I was like, hunting's not the same as it used to be. You're like, yeah, in that spot. You have to grow out of that. And I think it's easy to get stuck in these. Here's what's worked. And I think as humans, we tend to gravitate to, to what's worked for us in the past, which is not always the case for the future. And so once you break out of that shell, it's easier to recognize. So mm-hmm. for me, going to Arizona, like I, d- I just don't have any context of what was good the year before. And so for me, I'm constantly bouncing. And in a way, maybe in a bad way, like I'm not putting in. Right? Like, I also see people bounce around too much. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not giving it enough. This <laughs> I love how there's so many parallels between business. It's maybe you ran uh, a few Facebook ads you're like, oh, Facebook ads suck. They don't work. <laughs> it's like, oh, you ran it for a week. Do You really is that a- the answer? And same with hunting. Like I could walk down in Arizona is a great example because like you could sit there for days and not see anything. But it's a great area. And so you could go glass for an evening, not see anything. Is there any elk there? Maybe not. I don't know. And so like you have to give something enough effort. And that depends on the area. And that's the hard part, but I do see both sides of this. So there's not, there's, it's not black and white. There are people who will go and hunt the same place over and say the hunting's not what it used to be, but they're, they don't want to branch out and find new areas. In in the same vein, like they, there are people on the other end of the spectrum that just bounce around and they're like going too many places, not putting enough effort into it. So Again, I think it boils down to like your context. Like, how much experience do you have looking at those bucky or boldy areas? Oh, this looks bucky. How do you know that? Do you have a bunch of experience? When I went to Arizona, nothing looked bully or bucky to me because I'm like, <laughs> this doesn't make sense at all. But that's just because I didn't have years of experience looking at that type of terrain. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's a little bit of both.
0: No, I think it does for sure. And I think it, for me, it's the same thing, right? If I know there's, like an animal, if I know there's elk in an area, like even though I might not see him, I if I, get, I know that if I continue to hunt that area long enough, I'm eventually going to get a chance at this elk. I had this mm. situation with my kids hunt. Like it was, I knew there was elk in this area. He ended up missing opening day. But in a few times we moved because we were just like, we just don't want to hike down there and retire. But it, that never panned out for us as moving. There's been other times where I've hunted an area and for four days and not seen an elk and then made a move and killed a bull sometimes it's important to move. I think the same thing for business too. When you are when you have a business, you're the only one that's going to believe in that product. You're the only one that's going to believe in what you're doing. And other guys might say it's cool, but you're going to have to stick it out sometimes and you have a good product. You know the bull's there. But you're going to have, even if people think you're crazy, you got to stick it out and keep doing it and keep fighting and fighting and fighting because eventually it's going to take off because you know, you believe in it and it's your vision and your dream. You're going to get there. But at the same time, Like for me, I've had products that I've done where I put a lot of passion into and I thought they were great and people didn't think they were great. So I had to be willing to pivot and make something. How do you know when to fold them? Dude, I I think I've gotten, you have to have thick skin. Like you have to have thick skin and just recognize if it's not selling, it's not a good product. (laughs) Like (laughs) if it's not, that's, that's the best barometer for business, right? If it's not, if it's not selling, it's not a good product. If there's not elk, it's not a good spot if it's just like the, the proof's in the pudding i think if with me if i have a product where i have to just constantly be training people to use it and i'm constantly having issues with it it's just like it's probably a thing i need to fold on and go on like, i <laughs> right. thought it was great but it's maybe it's not if i have to constantly tell people why it's great it, it's not worth it but if people tell me it's great and it sells itself then it's a great product right and right. same thing was for hunting if i have to like Tell myself like, oh, my grandpa killed one here 20 years ago, but I haven't seen one. I shouldn't be there doing it. I got to move on and be willing to fold them and go find a new spot and be successful.
1: I heard a quote the other day that was, oh shoot, how did it go? It says, if you have to do sales, it's because you're bad at marketing. And if you have to do marketing, it's because you're bad at product. (laughs) <laughs> and I think there's a lot of truth to that. The great product sells itself, right? Oh, like a, gr- a great area in hunting, so yeah, like you, it's not a question, right? <laughs> and like yeah. it, everyone has their own like what they're looking for. But I think going back to the product thing is if you again, if you have to sell people on it and they're just not buying it, it maybe it doesn't matter. Like maybe it's on to the next thing. And I think we can look at like all the things that we want and be like, "Man, this would be so cool." But at the end of the day, does the market want it? And maybe there's a lot of products I think that just come too early. And maybe that's a piece of it. Maybe it's timing. And I think that's a a timing is a good way to not to have thick skin, but like to avoid it. So it's not your fault. They'd be like, this product was just too early. And, And a lot of times it's, you can sit here and try to tell people about the product. And sometimes they'll be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. But The litmus test is if they take their wallet out, do they actually buy it? And people can tell you like, oh, that's such a great idea. But at the end of the day, if they don't pay for it, like there's your answer. And I think you've seen this because you've had products that are rocket ships, right? When something is like, oh, I get it now. This is what it looks like when people want your thing, when it's a great product. And I think you have to just be able to kill your babies until you find that thing, right? You have to just say, okay, uh, until I find that rocket ship, like this one's done On to the next one.
0: Yeah. I'm a very like change oriented person. Like change doesn't scare me. I love change, but change is one of the scariest things for, I would say 95% of people, right? Like I love change. I love new systems. I love figuring things out. So I'm not a, I'm a guy that's not afraid to bounce and change things up and figure it out too, as well. And I think you can't be afraid of change, right? With products and with business, like you can't be afraid of that's not working. Let's not throw good money as a bad product. Let's just kill the bad product and continue to go. Oh, my procs are good, by the way. But you guys just don't know what you're talking about. If you don't like it, it's your fault. Like, that's the mindset you have to be careful for. Because it's like you put, when you put time into something, it could hurt when people don't like something. And you're like, yeah. no, you're wrong. And it's like, the consumer's never wrong. How do you not take it personally? Oh, I take it personally. I text you what I was going to say to the person. All the time, it's like today I text you, right? Like yeah. this is like this is me being really nice. Like I sometimes I just can't help myself and I'll just come at somebody. But I take dude. Because dude, these keyboard warriors are—they're hard. It's hard because I don't think people understand. Like when I'm creating all these products, I'm putting my heart and soul into them. Like you get it, right? You see me coming yeah. at you, and like we we talk together a lot, and like I'm putting my heart into it. So when you come out and just bash it or say something or do a review video that's like way off or a hit piece it's very hard not to take it personal. Yeah. It's very hard for me to walk away from it. Like where well, my partners just laugh, like, Oh, that's funny. And I'm just like, how are you not? It's like, you're someone telling you your kid sucks at baseball. Like you, you can't not take it personally. That's right. your kid. You put all that time into it. You made it. And it's just, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's hard not to take it personally. It's hard to not, I think you get to look at all the good things people say as well. And, and try and brush us under the rug. But yeah, it's, I, I have a hard time separating the two. A very hard time. And I always will. But I think that's good though. I think you have to take it personally because it's motivating. Like right. you have to see things like when someone comes at it or, or if there's an issue with my products like breaking, like I want to figure out how to fix that. I don't want to just keep selling a product that's going to break. I want to find a way to fix that and make it even better. Right. Or if there's an issue with, um, I mean, the the LP Panhead is probably like the hottest selling Panhead head. And hunting in hunting industry right now. And I've made like four changes to that this year that no one's even known about. to <laughs> make it even better, right? And my my why are you doing that? Because I can make it better. Like I I see something and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's change it. Let's do it. And I'm always evolving. And you can't get just stuck on, this is my kid. He's the best. But it's the same thing with someone called, my kid's going to Africa, right? I'll hopefully just listen to this. He's going to Africa with my wife. I went to Africa with him last year my 15-year-old's awesome. He does youth ministries of the church. He does, he works hard. He's a good kid. He went to Africa last year. I was going to send him by himself to Africa with my buddy Jeremy and Jeremy called him, like, hey man, I talked to Rihanna. We're good with him coming but I want you to know that like he was like talked back to Rihanna at the church event or the Christmas event where he was setting up and he's going to be a smart aleck and like you, your kid, when he goes, I need to be able to slap him in the head. And so many parents would hear that and be like, F you, man, my kid's awesome, right? Or call that you're holding a PTA meeting to get him kicked <laughs> out of the church because he's a bad pastor, right? Or this right. teacher sucks. You have to take that criticism. And, and and so I went and told my kid like, hey, man, this is what's happening. Like you're going to go, but you have to, this is, let's grow, let's learn from this experience and grow from it. So I don't know. I hope that makes, makes sort of sense.
1: No, it does. And I was going to say, I remember when I first started my podcast and like you're, I was pushing for reviews and like always asking for reviews and I could get a thousand good reviews and then someone (laughs) would leave a bad one. And you're like, just ruins your day, dude. Like it was so hard. And I I, like, this is someone else's advice. It's not my advice, but I'll give it to you. And I think it's decent advice. And it's what it's the, the stoic advice is to acknowledge and then one up. And so you're like, To take, take, I'm going to say negative review on a tricer or something like that. This may be a little bit different because this is in the context, the original context was in like a YouTube comments or whatever, but is to acknowledge and one up it and be like, yeah, I am a total idiot like that. And in some ways, like you acknowledge their stance or whatever, but you don't let it crush you. And in some ways, I do feel like it helps. You're like, yep, I'm an idiot. And You just move on. And I think there is something to be said. Again, the reps of getting these punched in the face, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. It does, it does take a few to just get through it, right? But you have to have, I like your mindset of I have to be able to learn from it and grow from it. And so, like, how do we make that product better? And maybe like the poor reviews or whatever, hey, I like your feedback. Here's what I want to change. And then you're acknowledging it. I also think it's really important. And this maybe this is only for you. There's probably not a ton of people listening to this that have the same uh, use case. But in a lot of ways, I look at comments as everyone else is watching how you react. Mm-hmm. And, and so like that here's an opportunity to show your character. There's a mm-hmm. boatload of keyboard warriors out there that are like oh man, I can't believe you copied this. And you're like, oh, that's interesting perspective. Like here's the things we did to innovate. And it gives you a chance to showcase your personality and show show everyone watching because the people watching know, they know when people are just being keyboard mm-hmm. junkies. And so it gives you an opportunity to be the bigger person and be like, ah, oh, this, here's what we're doing. Here's the cool stuff we're innovating on or something along those lines.
0: Yeah. I I've gotten better. At that too, like not <laughs> just blasting people. And what I started doing too, and it actually someone did it, I'll just DM them and be like, hey, "Here's my cell phone number, call me." Like I had this kid from Arizona, doesn't run my stuff, and every like ad, every post, he would just go on there and be like, "You're copying this." Blah, 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 blah. And finally, I was like, "Hey man, here's my call me." We had an hour conversation. Like driving home. Cause like, I was just tired of it. Like I was just talking on the phone, like get to know me. Like we'd probably be like good friends. if We hunted together. We have a lot in common. Like, I don't know what you're and Like yeah. by the time the conversation was like, Oh, I didn't realize you did that. I didn't realize you changed that. He was just like, I don't know what he just had it out for me to just bad mouth me. Yeah. And so I've been doing that. And honestly, people just don't call me, which is awesome. And then they stop commenting. <laughs> I'm like, Hey man, just, just call me up. Let's talk. Because yeah. like, then you get to know me and you understand like where my mindset is with it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not out there trying to copy people or, or take people or hurt people. I'm just trying to grow a business. I'm a guy with five kids just like you. And I'm just working my butt off trying to grow something. And when you get to have that conversation, people really change their mindset and get to know you.
1: Totally. But I think it's like the next piece of that, which is good. The next piece of that is like, how do you show that at scale? Which is like everyone's watching. And I say that loosely, not everyone sees everything, but to, to, when you see those comments, like all the people watching that are on the fence about you or your product or your brand, mm-hmm. they don't really know. That's an impression. And it may be the only impression you get with them. And so I always look at it as who's watching. And so I type my response that I want to say, and then I delete yep, it. And then I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely
0: all the time. Or I'll, or I'll do is I'll just call one of my friends and talk to him about it or text my friend. Like, this is what I want to say. this guy, but I'm not going to say it. Right. It's just not worth it. And honestly, with the negative stuff, I feel like it's so motivating for me too. Like it does tear apart. Like, there's someone who did a review of the video this year on one of our tripods. And it was just so much of it was just so far off of the truth on our tripods, like the design, how it was designed, why it was designed. It was just like but it was spoken like truth. Like he never called me. Like we were just like what? And I was not happy. Like I was just bummed. And I can't not watch it. I have to watch the whole thing. Twenty minute review. Like I have to watch the whole thing and they eat me alive. But I came out of it, and I literally left work that day, drove to Sportsman's Warehouse in and in, by my house, bought a pair of Zulu Sixes and created the most bitching Zulu Six mount for Arca because I was so pissed off from this thing. And I made this amount out of it. So I take those, a lot of times i take that criticism and use it as motivation and fuel for my fire. Especially, Dude, I, think,
1: I think it's so underrated. Like the whole negative criticism thing, like it is so underrated. I think we all have that story of someone said I couldn't, so I did it. And you'll go... You'll move mountains to prove people wrong. And I think like mm-hmm. negative criticism is a, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but like it it's powerful thing for sure. Like looking back in, the, in a lot of the things, like so many things that i built, I definitely went way too far and too long on stuff because someone said it couldn't be done, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's more motivating to me than be like, oh, you're doing a good job. <laughs> you can tell me I'm doing a good job. It's not going to do anything. But if you say I can't do something, for sure, I'm going to figure out a way to do it.
0: Yeah, my competition should really learn just not to say things about me because that's the most motivating thing in the world to me. Like, it just gets me fired up. I'm like, okay, I was tired, but now I'm not. Thank you. It's like one of my favorite documentaries is The Last Dance with Jordan. Mm, You watch that? Yeah, oh yeah. Dude, it just talks about how like he'd be, you know, it just took one thing. A guy didn't shake his hand. He went and scored 70 points the next day. (laughs) Or it's just one thing would just piss him off like they the, the Pistons beat him, right? And he would he went home and just they worked. He went straight to the gym and they worked out and got bigger. He put on thirty pounds so they could beat the Pistons the next year. It's <laughs> like it's just like that. You can look at it two ways. You can look at like negative stuff and like let it eat you alive. Or you can look at his motivation. It's gonna hurt, but right. you gotta learn from it. Like you have to learn from it. And I think the same thing we're talking about going back into hunting. Like you're gonna make mistakes, but you gotta learn from it. Like you, everything you do. Has an output, right? Like you said. So if you're, if you blew a stock, put a note in your head for that so you don't do it next time. Don't look at it like, oh my gosh. And trust me, like I've been there, like when you spend a bunch of time and you miss an animal, we've all done it. Dude, like you want to quit and go home. You want to crawl up on a ball and cry. It's just like, what did I do? How did I spend all that time, four days, finally got in the position and missed the shot? Like that eats you alive. But you got to learn from it. And get back up and do it again because you're going to miss again. You're going without a doubt you're going to miss again. I tell my kids it all the time because they tend to miss a lot lately. Let's just do it again. Let's go back after it,
1: dude. I I got an interesting. We didn't plan on this, but you just made me think of something. And you're the only person I think in the world I could talk to this about. But I've had this like concept, and it's through watching Supercross in the mental game, the mental side of Supercross, (laughs) and thinking about hunting. And there's so much. Just to be said for like the confidence, right? The mind game. And yeah. like you go into a hunt and you just feel like an absolute killer. There's something super powerful about that. If you go in and I don't care if it's as simple as, man, my bow is doing something funny the day before the hunt, all, it's all off. And you watch Supercross. you like, we're both Supercross nerds, and we text each other about this. But when it comes to Supercross, it is crazy how much the mental game. And you would think that that is the top level performers, but and I think it's like in an individual athlete sport, and this could be said for a lot of individual athlete sports. It's not a basketball team where you dude, golf, one hundred percent golf. <laughs> yeah, great example. But like hunting is is very much this way too, dude. How much like how much do you think that the confidence plays in a role? The mind game plays a role in your success as a hunter.
0: Oh, without a doubt, it does. And I think that's a, another thing we talked about earlier with spending more time in the field and not just going out one time because like, you start to learn, oh, that's just part of it. Hmm. Like I'm probably, there's a reason why this tag is only a 30% success rate. I'm probably going to fail 70% of the time. You have to get that mindset. Yeah, but 100%. I think that you're going to go out and you're going to fail. And there's so many times where you just don't want to get out of the tent or like you want to quit because you missed an animal or I've gone home. Like I I remember gut shooting an animal. Arizona and just going home. I just could not get it back together. It was like day three and I had I think it was a six day hunt or something or five day hunt. And I was just like, I'm like, I'm over it. I'm going home. I just wounded this animal and it sucks. And I left and I can never get that hunt back. I can't get that tag back. So yeah, it's a huge part of it.
1: And I think even more than I agree. And I've had those experiences. There's one time I left early and that one haunts me for a long time. And actually that negative motivation has kept me on a lot of hunts. But at the same time, there's just something even more nuanced. Like when you feel dangerous and I know like, it's so cheesy, but like when you feel like an absolute killer and you're on the mountain Mm -hmm. and you're like, man, this like, I you're more keen like your eyes are more keen you're more you're looking a little bit extra right you're just like you're going that extra little bit when you have that confidence and i think that's a bigger like the mental toughness is its own thing getting out of your own head is its own thing there's macro level decisions that are made along a hunt but i think like the micro decisions the little like just extra bit that extra bit of effort and it doesn't even have to be like, oh, I'm going to hike over an extra mountain. It's I'm going to glass a little bit harder. I just like that confidence like I'm going to find something any second. And that little bit of confidence can go so far on a hunt. And I've just noticed it. And the more I watch Supercross, the more I'm like, man, I think that is a big piece of it. I don't know if you can fake it though. I don't know if you can just be like, man, I feel dangerous today. And you're going to be yeah. more, you know, better in the mountain or whatever.
0: Yeah. There's something to be said about when you put your crossroads on an animal and you're like, you're dead yeah you just know sure. you see an animal and you're like i'm gonna kill that animal even though it's a thousand yards away i'm gonna do this and this and you're gonna kill him you never going to if you're going into a stock with the mindset of oh i could blow it or if i go this way the winds like you're probably not gonna kill it like, <laughs> you gotta go into that thing like i'm going to kill you yeah with confidence yeah I, I think it's a great correlation because look at joe shimoda right now like dude, when that kid <sighs> oh starts winning he's one of the best supercross riders in the world he can't I think he, he finished fourth last weekend in Glendale. Like he can't get it together because he's just not winning. But as soon as he starts winning, he'll turn it on. So like by the end of this season, he'll be winning races. Right now, he just cannot get it together, and it's his total mental game. And it, I think the greatest example, that's why I said golf, is Tiger Woods. The guy had, like, I think, it's thirteen majors, and, like all these wins, and then he got caught cheating on his wife with a bunch of strippers. And the guy can't hasn't won a thing since. I think he's won one golf tournament since because it's mental.
1: That's crazy. So what is the answer that you think that like for hunting? Is it like small wins? Is it like, how? because let's just say the average dude goes on a big elk hunt every year, right? And you only get one. So it's not like you can go have three bad races and then come back like Eli or something and just be like, I pulled it together. You only get one week out of the whole year to do this like thing. How do you Mm -hmm. make sure you're like mentally top performer?
0: I think for me, my mindset has shifted from, I have to kill something to, I want to enjoy this experience. And that's taking a lot of pressure off. And I go out there with like, I want to enjoy this. I want to spend as much time out here as I can. I can't get, I put my mindset in like when I'm not here, I'm gonna be sitting in my office wishing I was here. Right. And I try and enjoy every minute of it. I mean, that sounds like a hippie, but that's my (laughs) thing with it. And like, I try and keep that mindset is like, I'm out here in this world that God created and do something that everybody wants to do. Let's enjoy this to the fullest, right? I try to keep that positive mindset that way. And plus, I'm just like the glass half full guy when it comes to hunting, anyways. Like, I know if you ever glass with me, like, I'll be glassing 10, 12 hours a day, like all day long. Cause I know that eventually, if I glass long enough, something's gonna be stand up in that glass. I'm gonna find them. So I just stay after it and keep going and don't let my mind wander, I guess. Stay, stay yeah. active.
1: I was trying to think it. I don't know if I'm that. I would say, like, things have evolved for sure for the last few years and I've gotten really good. I used to want to force things. I think there's, man, it's such a good balance, but it's like, I used to want to just try harder. And I thought if you just tried harder and covered more ground, like Mm -hmm. inputs, equal outputs, right? Like you're gonna, you're gonna get the thing. But I realized, and this is a lot from just targeting really big bulls and you have to be much more patient. What people don't realize is that hunting big bulls and hunting like I would say average elk or whatever are two different games or two different sports entirely. And hunting big bulls sucks. It's super boring. It's not just, Oh, I, I don't say that lightly. Like it's super boring. It's not like you just go and you get a hunt every single elk, right? It's a, it's a very different game, but it t- has taught me a lot. And there's a lot to be pulled from it. Like in the patient side of it, like being way more patient and just like slowing things down. Mm-hmm. I think when I first started to, to give people background, like I grew up hunting Roosevelt's, and then I got into the calling game and I was like doing the calling competitions when I was super young. And so calling was always the game, like obsessed about William Carlton. So the run and gun, like way before born and I didn't even know who born and raised was. Like we were all doing that. That was just Oregon boy thing. Like we just chased everything. And it was just like, I would just go. And so the harder you pushed it, the more ground you covered, like the more opportunities you got. And we weren't really selective. It was like good bull to kill it. And And that was just mentality. And so when I transitioned, say to Montana and trying to start hunting bigger bulls and being more selective, it was like, oh man, you really got to slow down. But the inner me was like, I just wanted to outwork everyone. That was like, oh, just keep going, cover ground. And there's so many parallels to business here, but, but you learn to be more patient and be more selective with the chances, the opportunities you take. And I think that as you mature as a hunter, you're like, okay, I have to be super patient. I have to have confidence in my plan. And that's the biggest hurdle for me was like having confidence in a plan and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's micro adjustments along the way. But if you're like going back to the business thing, if you're always trying something new, you're never going to find success. It You have to be persistent. You have to like shout the thing from the top of the mountain for a long time before you figure four people figure it out. And the same is true for a lot of great hunters. Like they have that ability to go hard, push in, but they also have the ability to be patient when they know the plan is working. And that's, that's the big thing for me is like learning to just be patient, but also trust the process, trust the plan. Like knowing that these inputs are good inputs and we're going to stick to them, keep doing these inputs and not get frustrated. Like I used to, and Oh, we're going to a different unit. We're going to this area. We're going Mm -hmm. over there and just bouncing around.
0: Yeah. I am nowhere near on the level of you or anyone else when it comes to hunting. But I can say that the patience thing has helped me extremely. If I find a good glassing knob, I love Kuzier. It's my jam, right? And I know the area looks like there's going to be Kuzier in it. I'll sit on that knob for all day sometimes. And I'll just glass 360 on that knob. Because I know eventually one's going to be there where it used to be like, oh, man, let's just go get the truck and move over here. And then let's look over here. And it's trying to force the situation versus just letting the situation come to you a little bit too. And, and I think that's there's a lot of correlations of business there too with like people will just switch. I have friends who want to own businesses and they just keep failing because they just keep going next, next, next and not just putting their time into one thing. You have to pick it and stick to it and be willing just to, to grind it out sometimes. And business is a grind and hunting is a grind. And like I said, a lot of the times you get to be willing to go to Arizona after I think you had seven or nine points. I, you spent a lot of points in that unit. Yeah, nine points, yeah. You got to be willing to go and burn nine points to kill that big bull. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And like it is what it is, like you burn them and you don't get them back. But at the same time, like you have to take those risks, right? Like you have to, I could sit here and wait for, I don't even know, unit 10, I don't know, what's the top unit nine or 10, and I could spend my entire life putting in for those and I had the exact same result. And so for me, it's you have to take risks sometimes. And going back to, I don't know how many business people listen to your podcast, but sticking to a plan, like what's a good plan. I think there's some validity in saying, I want to test multiple ideas. And this is, I think 20 year olds have the wrong perspective on life in a lot of ways, but everyone's looking for, oh, how do I become successful? If I was starting over... I would spend, let's just say, I would spend my 20s dabbling in new stuff, right? I would try a lot of things and I would get a lot of those at reps, right? At-bats. And I tell this pe- people about, oh, you need a ton of at-bats to build that perspective. And, and the same is true for like life in general. Like you should get a lot of at-bats references, right? Like you need that context. And then when you see something that works, you have that built up gut intuition. Of, oh, this has potential then you stick to the plan, right? You stick to that thing longer than you think. And every friggin business book in the world will tell you that it's gonna take way longer than you think. There's no overnight success. And and Drew, Drew could tell you, like, yeah, you're on a rocket ship, but at the same time it's probably taking you longer than you think. And actually, I wouldn't say that, like how many years before the rocket ship took off? There's, it took
0: a long time. <laughs> yeah, five years of pushing this thing to finally get it to where it is. And yeah. And we're still figuring it out and still growing and trying to get, we're nowhere near where we're going to be. Right. Like I could right. just, I was talking like, we've had all of our success with literally like four products and I could probably stop making products now and just be done and just be like, Oh, that's going to be a cool income for us of my life or however long the life of the tricer is. But I don't want to do that. I want to continue to grow and bring more products in and grow that thing. And from there, because I know since day one, since conception, right? I did a video of when I first got the first tripod in Arizona in 2017, I knew what this company could be. And this company is way bigger than it is right now. And I know where I want to go. I don't want to go too much into where I want to go on the podcast, but I know the markets I want to go into within the tripod space and the hunting space that are outside of what we're doing right now. Like I am like, when I tell people like I'm just getting started, like literally I'm just getting started. Like, it's just a snowball. It takes time to keep going and going and keep growing it. And I I think
1: that's super important to understand. Like, for people listening, like, most people will make more in a year of their 40s than they did all through their 30s. And so the, the context is it's not linear. So let's just say Drew has this business for 15 years, it's been five you'll probably make more in your 14th year than the one through 13 or one through 12 in some capacities. Like it just gets bigger and bigger. And I look at the, not the accomplishments, like we look at, okay, if I want to succeed, it's not that I have to make a bunch of money in my twenties. I need to develop the skills and at bats to be able to see the right things in my thirties. Then in my thirties, I want to focus on those things and learn and get really good at it. Like become the best in the world. Like, we'll say Drew's the best at designing tripods in the world. Like that's what he needs to be really great at. And then, you know, the I would say all the spoils come. And so I think about that too, is like maybe from the hunting perspective is like, yeah, I, man, I've spent 20 years learning and learning. And actually I'm coming into a bunch of really good tags now. And it's, it's cool because it's like, okay, now I got the skills. I got the time. I got like, now it's, I'm going to be dangerous. And I, like, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm unsuccessful, but I look at it in that perspective of, man, it takes so much longer than you think, but it's worth it.
0: For sure, dude. That's good business stuff. Let's go into the hunting side because you keep talking about killing elk. And I think <laughs> everyone knows you're a big elk killer. I would call you a big elk killer. You would be, if you were to put a list out there of guys who kill big elk, Cody Rich is on that list.
1: I don't know. I don't know about that. When did you kill statement. When did you
0: kill your first bull? Oh. How old were you? Hmm, how old was I? 19? 18 hmm. or 19? You're that old when you killed
1: your first bull? Oh no, no, no I, I, I was 12 technically when I killed my first bull. Sorry, first okay. one with the bull was 19.
0: Okay, you killed your first bull when you're 12, so you do come up learning from grandpa and dad, and oh yeah, getting the skills. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Funny enough, my dad was big time elk hunter. Loved elk hunting, and he actually. So we weren't allowed to go elk hunting until we were 9. Like that, so 4th grade was like the first year I could go elk hunting. And so like we I deer hunted since I was probably 3. We go deer hunting around the house, but elk camp, those were traditional rifle elk camps. Like it was 5 hours away, so you drove to elk camp. So I I got to go elk camp when I was 9. And actually the very first day I went elk hunting, I got to follow dad and we go out and the first morning, like I follow dad and we just get into a herd of elk. Actually, I spotted him and elk bus or whatever. And we, dad shot a spike and he shot the spike. And anyway, I got to pack the, well, I, didn't, I packed the head over two downfall and that was about as far as I got. But yeah, that was like my first four into elk hunting and was like super hooked. And then I think the entire trip after that, I got stuck with grandpa, by sitting on knobs and stuff. But yeah, my grandpa was a big elk hunter. All of his friends, dad was a big elk hunter. So yeah, in the blood.
0: In the blood. So you kill your first bull. I want to understand the origins of Cody Rich, the guy who has a whole elk (laughs) series, an elk podcast, outside of the Rich Outdoors podcast. You you almost didn't even consider the elk you killed with the rifle until you called your first of your boat. Why is that? (laughs) There's okay,
1: so there's a whole bunch of backstory. So my very first elk, so that I'm at nine. By 12, like I was super into archery, like I did 4H, all that. All my cousins, so I had a bunch of older cousins. They were big in elk hunting and they started archery elk hunting. And my archery coach, if you will, was like my dad's buddy. They worked at the mill together and he owned a bow shop. So, like, we'd literally go to the bow shop and they'd drink beer and I'd shoot bows for hours and so when i say archery coach it was a little less professional than that but but he was a solid elk killer too they killed a lot out anyway and so when i went on my first elk hunt i ended up my uncle's with me and the spike runs by and i shoot the spike and it drops i would almost say yeah i'll just say pure luck this is a r- full run elk this is okay. your 12 year old elk. Well, yeah i was 12, 12 old. years old like my, my uncle and I are sitting like back to back against this tree and this elk comes running by. Like I remember hearing the ground shake. I don't even remember putting the gun up to my eyes. Like I remember shooting and this elk tumbles. And my uncle's like, holy crap. And so like we dropped this elk. Long story short, like some guys came in. So we went down and we bumped this elk. He was like right there where I shot him. And they're like, oh crap, we gotta wait. And we're like down in this reprod now. And and we like start blood trailing a little bit. we bumped the elk again, but he only went 20 yards. I was like, oh, we should wait. And all of a sudden we hear gunshots going off. And so like my uncle just throws me on the ground because it's like right there. And like <laughs> start yelling and we walk over there, it was like maybe 50 or 60 yards away. And, and like, these guys are already skinning the elk. So long story short, I didn't even get to keep my first elk. Someone screwed us out of it. Long story short. So technically my first elk was until 19, but like right after that, I started bow hunting. And uh, so I never really rifle hunted again until probably mid twenties. Uh, so became like a diehard archery guy and uh, started archery elk hunting.
0: So, it sounds like you grew up in the traditional elk camp, which I would consider like traditional elk camp is like if it has antlers, kill it. Right? Yeah. I I went to Oregon and hunted, and there was a lot of camps like this where it's like they are just shooting spikes, right? So, wh- how did you transition into now chasing big bulls? Like your first bull at <laughs> nineteen, were you like I am only going to shoot six by six bulls, or how did this how does evolve until you've become this guy who kills big bulls? You target big bulls. How did that evolve? What did that look like for you? That process.
1: That's interesting. No one's ever asked me that. So, my dad would roll in his grave because my dad actually he killed 16 bulls and never killed a 6 by 6 Shot spikes and I think he had a couple raghorns. Anyway, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know where I got the audacity to be like, yeah, I'm a big bull hunter, but like maybe it was just watching too much TV or primos or Wayne Carlton or whatever. But I like in the early years, I we used to get this tag in Oregon. It was it's now very coveted. Just I don't know how I ended up there. So anyway, long story short is I was in a really good unit and I had 30 days to be there. And that was like the first time I got to like call in tons of elk. So I originally hunted Roosevelt's and we'd call in unfair number of bulls. We did pretty good in those years. My cousins were really good hunters. And they taught me a lot. And then I went to Sled Springs, something called River. So I went to Sled Springs in the early years and I would go there. And I had, I remember I was in college and I had basically the whole September off and I was there and I was calling in two or three bulls a day. I know that sounds like a lot, but like we were just in elk and it was like, I was chasing big bulls. And I don't know if that's when it all started. It was like, man, I am i got all season. Like I'm only going to kill a big bull. And so I started chasing big bulls. And I started getting like crazy at bats. Like I was I was hunting every single day, getting into tons of elk, some of the best elk hunting in the world, and, and like just having all these opportunities. And actually, the first bull I shot, like there was a bull I was after. I, I called him Hammerhorns. and I was on this bull for four or five different days. Like I was in on him; he was a giant. And the day that I ended up killing my first bull with my bow, again, I don't know who, who gave me the audacity to be like I'm passing. I passed lots of elk that season. Anyway, when you're, ni- when
0: you're nineteen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Passing elk. That's awesome.
1: And, but I was calling in elk for other people. Like we were killing elk and so guys were like, I'll be like, Oh, let's go hunting. And I knew some guys up there. And so we'd killed a number of elk that season. Anyway, this uh, I finally got this bull. He was away from his cows. I called him in, and it was one of those deals. It was weird because I saw him coming, and he was like at forty-five. I was like, all he's got to do is go around that tree. and It goes through this patch. It was one of those deals where I didn't look at his horns after that. So like, I had like the timing was like basically he goes behind trees, and a five-point steps out. I never even looked at the horns, and I dropped this five-point, and I'm like just elated. Like I just killed this bull I've been after for five days. And throw the binos, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not the right bull. Just mm-hmm. Classic, whatever. And I was still stoked. Great opportunity, whatever. But those first few years, I was up there almost every single year and helping other people chase elk. And so I just got a ton of uh, reps, got a ton of at bats, learned so much about calling elk, chasing big bulls. And from there, it just escalated. And I wasn't even, I was into big bulls, but my perspective changed. I remember I came to Montana. And I hung out with some buddies. I was just hanging out with these guys about a week ago. And I remember coming to Montana. And to me then, like a 300 was a big bull. And like I started hanging out with these Montana guys. And they're like, oh, this little 350. And I'm like, are you crazy? And I remember like them talking to them about these bulls being like 360, 370. I was like, that's just unheard of. And when I was 21, like I remember watching the videos and 21, 22, 23, all I wanted in the world was like to be able to hunt 350 bulls. That was such an anomaly to me. I was like, man, that is crazy. And I would catch a glimpse of a 330 or 340, maybe a 350, like every few years. And it was like this like thing on a pedestal for me that was like, I just want to be able to see one. And like, it became a bit of an obsession. And then when I moved to Montana, like obviously it's just a different caliber of bull around here. And so hunting three fifties every year became a real thing. And then it was like, I actually told Kelsey, my wife this year, I was like, I have three tags this year that I'll be hunting 350 bulls. This is 22 year old Cody's dream. Like mm-hmm. just to chase them. Even if I don't kill them, like just to be able to be in the woods with that caliber caliber of bull is I don't know. That's what I always dreamed about for whatever reason. I don't know why it wasn't like some ego thing. It was just like, man, to be in the woods with that caliber of bull is just like next level to me.
0: Did you move to Montana for that reason to chase bulls? Mostly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's, I remember the year before we moved, there's a kind of a lot to it. I always say I want to move to Alaska, but my wife and I met in the middle at Montana. So there's a little bit of that. And like at the time, like I had Built most of my businesses, you know this, but like way back in the day, I read four hour work week and I heard I read that not as like I could live on a beach and do work from anywhere, but as I could live in the mountains and the elk woods and work Mm -hmm. from anywhere. And I like was of the mindset of burn the ships. This is what I want out of life. That's my only goal. And did that fairly successfully and was able to hunt. A lot of September's from the woods. Sometimes I had to work for a few hours in the morning, but I was always hunting. And and so Montana was the next step. And I remember we were hunting here with a bunch of buddies from Oregon. And they're like, we were talking about how cool Montana was and the hunting or whatever. And they're like, man, why don't you just move here? Like you have an internet company, like you can do whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, why don't I just move here? (laughs) Like the seed was planted. And so then we started looking at it. and, And actually, my wife and I were like, it was a big decision. Like my family's. So I would be the seventh generation on the family farm, on the black sheep and just left. But for me, it was like, it was a big decision to move away from that home area. No one had ever left in my family, left that area since they they came. And so it was a big decision. And I just looked at it as, okay, let's do it for a year. And let's not say we're moving permanently. Let's we'll just go for a year and try it out. The thing about that is no one ever comes back once they do that. But it's a good, it's a good way to put a temporary boundary on it. So it doesn't feel like a forever commitment.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now you, have you killed a 350 bull?
1: No, still haven't.
0: Still haven't got one. You're chasing (laughs) him.
1: Still chasing it, man, which is crazy. I've been around a lot, man. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of years. I feel like I've missed bulls, had situations, like just, I feel like I got a monkey on my back now.
0: (laughs) So you do though, you consistently are one of those guys who just kill six by six bulls though. You consistently yeah. are killing those good bulls now. Bulls that I would just think are like, I would be ecstatic for. Right. But it's just neat to see like people's perspective on things, right? What, like I would just be like, some of the bulls you killed is like to the moon, so mm-hmm. stoked. And you're like, next, I want to go to the next level. And it's even business too, right? Like you could be so jacked about your $100,000 company, or you could be jacked about your $100 million company. It's just, there's different levels to this I don't want to say sport, but to this life, right? To business, yeah. to hunting. And you can evolve into it. And it's neat to see that your level is now I want to kill a 350 bull. I remember you telling me when you're in Arizona, I'm not killing a bull that's less than 350. And you drove all the way down here and you had opportunities at bulls, correct? In Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. you could have killed. And you didn't kill them. Because you wanted the one you showed me was like 370 or something, right? It was big.
1: Yeah. And there's levels of the game. Like people get upset when I say a small 315 bull and you have to figure I've been doing this for 20 some years. And it's interesting. I don't want to say it's like keeping up with the Joneses, but out of my friends, I'm like the worst elk hunter. I feel like like my buddy's all killing 370, 380 bulls. And I'm like, man, I suck at this. <laughs> so it's all relative, right? And I think that's good. I think you have to not let more consume you and it's the same and true the same is true in business and in life and everything i think there was a time where i was like man i suck at this like all my friends are killing 370 380 bulls and i'm just like man i can't even kill 350 And and it's tough, but at the same time, you just have to be happy where you are. And it's going back to, man, I'm so thankful to be out here. And so I look at it as, man, I'm thankful to be hunting 350 bulls. If I get the monkey off my back, I do, great. And for me, I know what's going to happen. I'm not worried about that. Like I'm around them all the time. I'm chasing big bulls. It just hasn't, the stars haven't aligned yet. But at the same time, I don't know, like this year I killed some gray bulls. But I still, part of me still feels like I killed him for the internet. Like to me, it's, I don't know, the, the bull I killed in Idaho or in, in Montana, they were great bulls and most people would be super stoked with them and 320 bulls. But at the end of the day, it's, I don't know, I feel like, I sold myself short. Like I set a goal and I didn't accomplish it. And I I don't know, there's reasons to do it. And nowadays being the public eye, like now I have a part of me, like this feeling guilty about having an elk course and it's, you can't strike out and not kill anything. But at the same time, I freaking hate killing 300 inch bulls for the internet. Like just so I can post them on the internet. And it's, man, I love to me, I would rather go 30 days and hunt elk every single day, than kill a medium bull on the first day of season. Like I just, I, I love the experience. I love the challenge. Like, I love getting better. So to me, like getting better is spending 30 days out there with them learning, even if that is a failure. I think there's something to be said though, for confidence, going back to the motocross game. I knew this year, I would say last year it was 350 or bust and I held true to that. And then this year it was like, man, I need to get a W. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I need to get that confidence back. And so like, now I'm like going into next season, like 350 or bust again. And so dude, ebbs, ebbs and flows. You had a, man, you had a Cooper you know, Webb
0: this year. You had to had win. win without winning. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How much of that three fifty bull is luck? You said like the stars haven't aligned. Like what percentage there's skill, right? There's time in the field. What percentage of it? Like is it the last ten percent? What what percentage of it is is the luck with hunting?
1: That's a great question. And I think it depends on every hunt. If I lived in Oregon if I was hunting 350 bulls in Oregon, like I would say it's mostly luck. There's so much luck involved. It just depends on the area, but there's places in, you know, other states, like you go to Arizona and I would say it's, it's not a hundred percent luck by any means, some skill and you know, maybe it's 10 or 20% luck. So I think there's always a luck component. I think that's with everything now, man, timing and luck is, mm-hmm. is so important. And people like to say, oh, was it hard work and time? Something about hard, the, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I think that's true to an extent but I don't think it covers everything. I, I read tons and tons of business books. And I think you could boil most of the success stories you read in Forbes or business books down to like timing and luck was a huge piece of it. Like Yeti was really interesting and man, that was a great idea or whatever. But like timing and luck had a big piece of that. Like you can't say it was like all thought out and like perfect. You couldn't repeat it.
0: No, you couldn't. And it's what's crazy with Yeti. And this is, like they sell chairs for four hundred dollars. <laughs> You're know, like, dude, they sell coolers for eight hundred bucks, and we gladly pay it because it says Yeti on it. I just don't. It's awesome. It's right. almost like that liquid death, like we talked about liquid death today. Like yeah. the guys, like started as a joke. Like he was, he's from motocross. You understand? You, you know the backstory of that? I didn't know that. No. So he was. So when you he thought energy drinks were such a scam, right? So would you look at the podium? And you Hayden Deegan drinking a monster. It's actually water. Yeah. It's yeah. water. So that's where this whole thing came from, is like, why not just can water? I can and just brand it. Yeah. And that's how the whole thing started, as a joke. And it just, like, it just took off like wildfire. They have 2 million followers on Instagram, right? And they're just selling stuff. It's like a $100 million company now. It's a great it's a thing on... Not Spike. What is that thing? I think it's one went out of business on youtube they have a whatever i'll send it to you there's a great story on it on youtube like the whole origin story where they came from but it was a lot it was just luck sometimes it just happens man but a lot of luck is created too right like you gotta appear off in the right place and be willing to fail totally. right so if you're not out there chasing bulls like he's knocked out behind that tree if you go totally. home if you go back to the tent like you have to be there to create that luck but there is an aspect to it you do hear about the dude on his side by side in colorado every couple of years he just shoots a 230 inch buck he was going out elk hunting and he, a deer stood up and he shot it. So sometimes you get lucky. Yeah.
1: And I don't think it's, to me, like killing one 350 isn't, that's just, maybe that's all luck. Maybe it's not, I don't know. But like killing a 350 bull every single year, I have buddies that can produce 350 bulls almost every single year. And you're like, that's definitely not luck. Yeah, you know, that's insane. That's nuts. But if you can produce a, I got a buddy who's averaging probably I have to do math again. I know he's averaging over a 375. That's like crazy. All time.
0: So <laughs> a, age class on that bull seven years old? Probably older.
1: And I just read an interesting study actually that Jaden sent it to me. And it was talking about how basically bulls and bucks will hit 90% of their peak by, gosh, what was that? I think it was like year six or seven for bulls. Mm-hmm and three or four. And so people think it's like this linear number or this linear it's age hot. growth thing. It's not. It's like pretty young. It, it might've been two years old for a deer. It was something crazy. I remember looking at me like, that's wild. But so they hit 90% of their growth potential and then that can flux based on environmentals. And then sometimes they have a spike one way or the other in old age, but it's not what we think of like this.
0: The, he's a two point this year and then a three point and then a four point And then a, like yep. this- They start to aggress. So right. that ranch I hunted in Sonora, they only shoot mature deer. And mature deer to them is like four and a half and older. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like the buck I killed was eight and a half years old. But he regressed like 10 inches in the That's last wild. year. He was like a 118, four point on one side. just the buck I shot still freaking wicked. like 108-inch buck, 31 inches of mass, just everything I wanted in a deer. But he regressed and that's their thing is like there's just like this perfect point where he just blows up and it's like they say it's four and a half to five and a half six and a half is like when they really just get giant right then and you can see it in them too but you know what they're going to be at two and a half right, at right. Three and a half. you can right. see what they're going to be you can see them because a little stringy and they but the antlers are there and like oh this buck will be this in a couple of years but yeah there is a peak to it so like you bulk and just they start going down they can't
1: which is wild and then like with bulls it's interesting because you can have a good water year And it can flux 10 or 15 inches, no problem. And and then it's interesting because like this year in Arizona, everyone's oh, what a year to have it. What a year to have it. The weather, the water, all this. But then the vegetation must have been way different because everyone's man, they're not seeing anything. They're not where they used to be. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's the catch 22 of, oh yeah, great bull or antler growth year. Can't find them. There's <laughs> just too much,
0: too much feet everywhere. Too much water, too much stuff. Yeah, yeah but that's hunters though, dude. We bitch about everything. It's, oh, I, I killed them because of the full moon. Oh, I didn't kill them because of the full moon. It's, <laughs> I still don't know. I don't like a full moon. And I'm like, these guys I would snore with, oh, the full moon's the best. That's the best time to hunt. And I'm like, what? Like it's people, everyone's different. Everyone has an excuse. Like it was too hot. There was too much water. There wasn't enough water. It's this. Like, <laughs> we immediately want to make excuses for why we spent all this money and had to go home and tell our wives we didn't kill anything.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I see that too. Is they're bugling or they're not bugling? It's yeah, somewhere on the mountain they're bugling.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're there somewhere. We're getting to the end of the thing. We're over an hour. I like to wrap up with like a hunting story. Just give me a good hunting story. Campfire. Give me a bitch hunting story, and then we'll send this thing off.
1: What kind of hunting story you want, man? What's the lesson we, wanna, to wanna we want
0: to? Whatever you want to give me, give me your told. favorite hunting story. Give me the one you like to tell, the good story. Man, I'm trying to
1: think of a good one. You should have warned me. I already told half of them, my first elk story. Oh, okay. I got one. This is actually good. So this year I drew an Idaho rifle tag and it was special to me because it was the unit that I first hunted out of state. It was my first out of state hunt and my first six point. So fast or flashback, here's that. I know there was like a 15-year gap. So 2008, I started hunting out of state and I went to Idaho and I went to this unit. I didn't know anything about the unit, drove through it once. And this is like even pre-meet e-scouting, I think. I like I, I remember ordering the maps and like getting the maps or whatever, but pretty fresh. And I went there and I hunted super hard. I chased some great goals. Long story short... I get on this bull and it is a absolute storm. It's raining sideways. And I I'm, I'm chasing this bull and <laughs> I just can't catch up. He's a herd bull. He's got a herd and I'm like always running into the spikes and I'm trying to keep up and it's just absolutely downpour. And this bull steps out and I go to use my rangefinder and I got nothing. It's just it's not even yep. turning on. And I was like, "No." And I was like, Thinking about taking the shot, but I'm like, I just don't know. I didn't know how far it was. And I let him walk out of my life and I I, like, they shut up and we're gone. And I was so heartbroken. One of those times I almost quit. I literally drove back to camp and my tent has got like four inches of water in it. (laughs) And my air mattress, like the air mattress thing is like floating. All my gear is soaked. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like it's over. This is it. I'm done. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going to go just. I'm going to go to town, get some new rain gear, get a new range finder. Cause I, my rain gear was garbage. So I went to Bymart and I got new rain gear. and I got a new, new range finder and had a burger and the sun came out and I was like, all right, like I got to give it one more shot. So I go back and everything's yeah, hanging up in the trees. So I'm gonna go for an evening hunt. And that evening I go on a hunt, I go back in there and I'm listening, nothing. And I'm like walking down the road and I didn't like where I left these elk was quite a ways away. So I wasn't expecting it, but all of a sudden like I hear a bull just absolutely rip like right next to me. And I'm like, holy crap, like literally standing on the road. And here's where luck you know, strikes you. And I look up and here comes a cow over the hill and she like runs like coming down at me. So I'm like knocking an arrow. And this bull just comes over the hill, screaming right behind her. And he like turns and he screams, I range him and I shoot and uh, smoke him. And he like runs over the hill. And I'm like, holy crap, that just, that just happened. And like all that work, I almost left. I was so close dude, to like, just driving home. And I didn't, and I shot that bull. Long story, I go back in there and I pack this bull out and you know, it rained all night. It was absolutely miserable. And I have this picture, this old picture of me like in the brush with this like big six by six bull. And that was my first six by six. So fast forward this year and I drew the tag again and I was pretty stoked to go back to the same area like 15 years later and I had to rifle tag and the rifle tags are hard to draw. And the unit's definitely gone downhill, but I was like, still had high hopes. So I go back in there and this time I e-scout it and I had to actually figured out where I was because I hunted this unit a number of years and I had some pins or whatever. And it, long story short, I e-scout the crap out of it and I go back in there. And this year it was fun. It was really cool. There was a lot of people. Like it was a, definitely a rifle tag. and I didn't factor in all the deer hunters because I showed up a little bit earlier than I should have. So there's all these deer hunters and there's all these cow hunters and all this stuff. But Long story short, I go in there and had a good hunt and hunted hard. I had an opportunity at like 330 bull and screwed it up just last minute, like just middle of the day. I walk into this bull and he's bedded there. Anyway, ended up shooting a good bull and in the snow, it was super cool. It meant a lot to me. It was funny because like when I did kill this bull, it was that day, I like the the mountain was empty. There was no one. And like for the last week it had been just packed. And so like it snows. The day before I shot this bull I didn't see an elk. I covered 13 miles, didn't see a single elk and I, and I was like starting to second guess myself. So when this bull steps out, I ended up shooting him or whatever. And I was stoked about it. It was a cool hunt. It was super cool to relive that, Mm -hmm. oh man, this is like the, where it all started. Like way back in the day before I knew anything and I was hunting right over there. And it wasn't that far from where I killed the two bulls, but 15 years apart. So that was super cool. And I was by myself, but I met some really cool dudes, old timers on that hunt. And there's this one old timer. He'd always swing by my camp and MBS and going back to having old school, traditional elk camp, like with my dad and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I'm hunting by myself these days. And so I, I didn't have that, but I had this old timer. he would always swing by my camp and man, just one day he swung by and I think we'd BS for three hours. And so it was cool like hear old stories. And the guy had been there for a hundred years, all these stories. So it was super cool. It was fun.
0: That's awesome, dude. That's, uh, that's what I want to hear is a great elk story. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. So man, where can we find you? Where do you want to plug yourself? Want to plug Rich Outdoors? What do you got going on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Still... I'm, I'm building something. Drew knows all about it, but it's it's going to come soon. So I'll tease that.
0: Like it's coming soon. I wasn't, gonna, uh, I didn't even know if I was going to say that. I was going to say that you're building something awesome. Cause I am so excited for what Cody's building. And it's probably been like almost a year now. That I've been talking to him about it. And I'm I just know. like, yeah, I'm excited. Cause I remember like the first time he texted me about it and we started talking, we talked for like an hour. About it, I was just like, Oh, what if you did this? What if you did this? What if you did this? Yeah. Like, I get, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for people who are successful and do things. And I'm like, I'm so happy to see what this turns into for you. Cause I hope you're like Steve jobs, dude. I'm excited. (laughs) That's
1: funny. Maybe this is a conversation for off the podcast, but like, I I've been holding it in so long. I don't know when to start saying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not like trying to keep a secret at this point. It's like for at first it was like this big unknown. And so I'm trying to like, okay, I I set a date in my head that we're going to start teasing. it So I'll start teasing it today. and say something's coming. I won't say what, but like something cool is coming. We've been working on it for a long time. But yeah, other than that, like, Check out everything I'm doing with, so the elk hunt channel. So we've separated and I have the rich outdoors podcast, which is my per, become my personal podcast. I talk a lot about entrepreneurship, life, lifestyle design, all the things that I'm interested in outside of hunting and in hunting. So it's a, it's a very diverse podcast. And then a lot of my elk stuff now is just through the elk hunt podcast. And I have, I brought on a partner with that just cause I'm so busy doing the other thing. So Zach Bo Hayes helping me out with that. And so we're, we're really trying to grow that thing. And Zach wants to take that full time. So I have someone that, to pick up my slack when I'm screwing off so much. But so yeah, t- check out the Rich Outdoors or, and or the Elcon podcast.
0: That's awesome, dude. Let's let's do it again. Kill that 350 sure, bull and tell me the story about it. Yeah,
1: eventually. It'll be weird when it happens. <laughs>
0: yeah, you get to go 400. Yeah. Right. Thanks, bro. Thank you for listening to the Tricer podcast. Do us a favor and like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at TricerUSA. And go and check out all of our innovative gear at www.tricerusa.com. Until next time, shoot straight, have fun, and always put God first.